Welcome to the fourth and final climate crash course from GLF Live, the official podcast of the Global Landscapes Forum. If you're listening to this right now, you're probably familiar with the term net zero, which usually means balancing out the greenhouse gases we emit by removing greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. But is it really as simple as that? Can we just suck carbon out of the sky, do the math, and call it a day? Joining us today to re-examine the concept of net zero is renowned climate policy expert Kate Dooley. Hi everyone, and welcome to GLF Live. My name is Gabrielle Lipton, Editor-in-Chief for the Global Landscapes Forum, and welcome to the last episode of our climate crash courses. So far, we've learned about how greenhouse gases work, what loss and damage is, and where we really stand with climate change right now. So if some of these concepts or topics are things you don't quite know enough about yet, I encourage you to listen back. But here today, as we prepare for COP to start next week, we're looking in more of a forward direction, digging into a term we all hear a lot about, but might not really understand. And that term is net zero. We hear about countries, companies, institutions, individuals aiming and pledging to go net zero with their greenhouse gas emissions. But what does this scientifically require and to what degree is it actually possible? So that's what we're gonna discuss here today. And we have with us Kate Dooley, who's joining us from Melbourne the evening before she's traveling to COP. So Kate, we're so grateful for your time and participation here. And Kate is an interdisciplinary scholar with expertise in climate mitigation and land use policy. She's currently a lecturer in climate change politics at the University of Melbourne, where she received her PhD. And once again, Kate, thank you so much for making some time to join us and help us dig into this topic together. So to start with the basics, could you uh, describe what the term net zero means in your own words? Um, yeah, net zero is a really important scientific concept in the context of climate change mitigation. What it means is that all greenhouse gas emissions, so it's it's emissions of different greenhouse gases that are causing the climate to warm, need to um, we need to go to net zero so that we don't emit any further greenhouse gas emissions. Now, we could more simply just say we need to go to zero greenhouse gas emissions, but we can't actually do that because a lot of processes, um, in particular agriculture, for example, we can't do agriculture without emitting some kind level of emissions in terms of methane and, and nitrous oxide um, and others. Um, so there's there's areas um, of the, uh, we would say there's economic sectors that can't go to zero. And so to compensate for those, we'll need to remove some emissions from the atmosphere so that the net contribution that we're making to the atmosphere is zero. That's basically what it means. Thank you for that. So really balancing that equation uh, between what we're emitting and what we're offsetting or drawing down from the atmosphere, which brings me to my next question, uh, which there are a lot of different components to going net zero, and that can be switching to more renewable sources of energy, or as you were talking about offsetting. uh, So using trees, using natural ways to draw down some of the emissions uh, that we release. Could you um, expand on this a bit more and dig into a bit of the different components of perhaps what we might say is a recipe for an organization or a company uh, or an institution trying to go net zero? What are some of these different components and what is perhaps a realistic timeline uh, that we could be looking at for an institution to go net zero? 
Um, yeah, I will. But before I do that and talk specifically about institutions, it's probably worth elaborating a little bit on the, the concept of offsets and how, how we're going net zero. So if net zero is balancing any emissions we put into the atmosphere with any removals, we have to keep in mind that it's much harder to remove greenhouse gas emissions from the atmosphere. In fact, we can only remove CO2, which is one of many greenhouse gases. Um, and at the moment, we can really only remove it through photosynthesis, which is trees and, and land and other sort of biological um, sequestration. So that means we're really limited in our removals. So net zero needs to be primarily about reducing emissions. And what we you could you can call it offset when we're talking about net, net zero. Um, it's the residual emissions that can't go to zero need to be compensated by removals. But net zero um, in the scientific terms is a mid-century in terms of meeting the goals of the Paris Agreement, globally, we need to be net zero by 2050. That's a global goal. I'll come back to that later. But um, we're after 2050, mitigation doesn't end. We need to go net negative. Now, offsetting, like re removing emissions that compensate for ongoing emissions is not the same as removals that are not compensating for any ongoing emissions. They're taking us into negative territory. We're actually, um, on the whole, removing emissions from the atmosphere. So it's really important to keep that in mind um, because what it means is um, the amount is our removals are limited and they're valuable. So we need to only use them in the context where we really can't reduce those emissions. So then coming to your question about companies or institutions, what should they do? They should be thinking obviously about all of everywhere they can reduce emissions. How can they um, switch to renewable energy? Renewable energy is the obvious one. The electricity sector is the easiest sector to decarbonize um, transport and, and road and um, things like that are a, bit, are a bit more difficult, but we have technologies coming online there to decarbonize transport, freight, even some heavy industries, much faster and more accessible than we have technologies coming online to remove carbon from the atmosphere. So basically, companies and, and institutions should be looking to reduce their emissions um, as quickly as possible, and um, they'll be ahead of the curve when they do that. Then any emissions that can't be reduced, this really needs to be thought of in a in a in a very long time frame. Like the world is going to net zero. In in a future decarbonized world, will there, there won't be offsets? So will we? How can we actually change our business model, change our technology or practice to get rid of those emissions completely? Is what I would say. Absolutely. It's such a valuable point that just needs to be hammered home again and again and again, which is that we can't rely on offsets. We have to reduce. Um, and I like to your phrase there that um, the offsets we can do, the emissions we can draw down are limited and valuable, and we need to honor those. Mm, so yeah, it's a good way to think about it. <laughs> that said, no process is perfect. And as this process of going net zero occurs, what are some of the risks or challenges involved? Um, yeah, maybe I've, I've covered that to some degree. The, the main risks, I mean, the risk at the moment that we're seeing is the risk of greenwashing. And so we have companies um, definitely greenwashing in terms of announcing net zero targets. And um, uh, are those targets credible? How are they going to be measured? Uh, have they actually said what, what emissions they're going to reduce and what they're going to remove? So there's been quite an effort um, to push back on this in terms of global standards being developed for credible and legitimate net zero um, targets, and that's really important. On that note, have you seen any really great examples of a company or an institution or a country 
going net zero in a way that you feel is responsible and science-based? Um, my short answer would be no, but uh, that doesn't mean it's not out there. I, I don't sort of look specifically at company and corporation type level um, work, what they do. It would be great to hear more examples about that and, and how it's really credible. We hear a lot of sort of banner headline net zero targets, but we don't hear the details of why companies think it's credible. So that should be coming out. Um, in terms of countries, it, it, countries are in very different circumstances depending on their emissions profile. So in particular, poorer countries heavily dependent on the agriculture sector and those that have a lot of forests are already net zero, some of them. Some are net negative. Um, there's quite, I forget which country now, I'm sorry, but there, there's a country who's declared in their NDC that they're already net negative. Um, so it, it, it's different here. And this is why when we look at country at mitigation at the national level, at country level, it really needs to be differentiated on the basis of capacity and responsibility, which is the equity aspect of the climate negotiations, because countries have different kinds of emissions profiles, different um, capacities to reduce emissions. Thank you. And I think I, I'll have to double check after this conversation, but I think it's Bhutan that has been ne negative. Um, yeah, but... I'm sure Bhutan is, but another one I read recently that surprised me, um, I think in Latin America. So we'll, we'll both have to double check and post it for our listeners. <laughs> we definitely will. We'll add this to the, to the show notes. Um, so that brings me to my last question. You were talking about this a bit in your last answer, uh, but on the whole, as we look at this concept of net zero, is it generally achievable? And as we go into the COP negotiations next week, what are some of the decisions? What are some of the next steps that are most crucial to take now uh, if we are going to achieve this? Um, so I would say net zero is a critically essential goal at the global collective level. As our, And this is what the... Um, the recent IPCC report, um, the, the first report that came out last year on the physical science of climate change, made very clear we absolutely won't limit warming to 1.5 degrees or below two unless globally we reach net zero by mid-century and 2050, they said. And, and here I'm talking about net zero CO2, um, net zero all greenhouse gases is about a decade later. Um, but there, there were really large amounts of, of carbon removal um, included in that scenario. So some people say we should even get to net zero globally by 2040. But the main point that I want to make about this, so I, absolutely it's achievable. There is, there's so many um, studies and modelling. I mean, the IEA, International Energy Agency study, um, is the most recent and, and quite a high-profile one showing we still have a pathway to 1.5 degrees. Net zero is sort of on that pathway. We then have to go net negative. But what's really important to realise is it's a global goal, net zero, and particularly the timeline, whether it's 2050 or 2040, that's a global timeline. So then that needs to be differentiated between countries, as I said, based on equity, based on their responsibility and capacity. But I don't think net, personally, and I know net zero has been very popular and, and sort of um, can inspire a lot of action in the corporate sector. It's not an individual goal. It's not even, um, it, so it doesn't really apply at the corporate and individual level. Um, some companies will be able to go net zero easily and others won't. It, it really needs to be thought of more as a collective goal and at a collective level. Um, so I think that's an important thing to to think about, and it takes more. We probably need more um, coherent and joined up um, national planning for different sectors or, or subnational, you know, depending on the country, but jurisdictional sort of planning on how 
um, sectors are going to net zero. Um, some, such as uh, electricity sector, can absolutely go to zero. Most of the indus industrial sectors can go to zero emissions, um, whereas agriculture can't. So these are the sorts of trade-offs we need to be thinking about. And those trade-offs shouldn't be made on an individual or company or corporate level. That's not where the decision about trade-offs should be made. But yes, it's definitely achievable. Well, thank you so much for that last message of optimism and hope and also unification. So really actors in this space coming together to figure it out as a collective puzzle which is something that we do too little and need to do much more. Um, well, Kate, yeah. it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and to hear from you and to get a glimpse into your expertise on this topic. We really, really appreciate it and wish you all the best for your time at the COP. And for all of those who have taken some time to listen to us this morning, um, thank you so much for joining us. If they're uh, are some other issues you would like to hear discussed on GLF Live, please let us know. You can find that on the GLF Live website. So thank you all so much. Thanks to you once again, Kate, and we will see you all next time on GLF Live. That's a wrap for our climate crash courses, but we'll be back again next Tuesday with a brand new season of our regular full-length GLF Live podcast, so stay tuned. Be sure to subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or Stitcher, and reach out to us on social media with the hashtag GLFLive. And as always, for everything you need to know about landscapes, ecosystems, and climate change, visit our website at globallandscapesforum.org. We'll see you on the next one.